BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms, 21 plus only. Virginia only, new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. One of the best shows of the year, according to Apple, Amazon and Time, is back for another round. We had a big bear of a man, who's called Mal Evans, who's on roadie, and uh, <clears throat> I was coming back on the plane, and he said, will you pass the salt and pepper? And I misheard him. <laughs> I said, what? Salt and pepper? Listen to season two of McCartney, A Life in Lyrics, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Chris Moody, host of the new podcast, Finding Matt Drudge. I'll be taking you on a journey to find the mysterious media mogul Matt Drudge, founder of The Drudge Report. Along the way, I'll talk to people who have worked with him, dined with him, and fought with him, taking listeners into private conversations, all in an attempt to get a better understanding of who Drudge is and what motivates him. Hopefully, he'll even sit down with us. Listen to Finding Matt Drudge on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Your holster is way more important than you think it is. It's just way more important than you think it is. What Look, and I get that. The holster's not the sexy part of carrying firearms, right? You want to talk about your weapon and your ammunition. You, you want to talk about your safety training. You want to talk about how you did at the range. Oh, look at my groups. I was doing these failure drills today. And all that stuff's really important. I mean, really, really important. I'm not discounting that. But I've known so many people who do all those things. They take all the necessary steps, and then they carry with a holster they bought from a big box hunting store that was made a thousand at a time. Please, don't put your life in one of those holsters. You need to trust Northwest Retention Systems because it's all custom-made gear. It's the only thing I carry around. nwretention.com, that's nwretention.com. Use the promo code JESSE, get you 10% off. Well, we have this thing called Pandora's Box. Maybe you've heard of it before. It's this way you can listen to music anywhere. No, I'm just kidding. The old story of Pandora's Box is simply this. Once you open it up, you can't close it again. You can't get everything back in. So before I go into everything that's happened with the economy, where we are, where we're going, where we should be going. I want you to understand something. And look, it doesn't do any good to cry in our Cheerios about it, but we do need to understand it. There are some of these things we can't undo. Here's what happened. A pandemic broke out. It broke out in China. It broke out early. China covered it up early to do what? We don't know. Were they trying to save face? Were they trying to intentionally harm other nations? You wouldn't put either of those things past China, but they did what they did. A pandemic broke out. The pandemic began to make its way across the world because apparently the thing spreads like wildfire. It did. These things happen. People began to die from it. And nations began to lock themselves down. That was our moment. 
So much of what we're about to talk about is happening because of that moment. You see, I study ancient battles and things like that all the time, not to go off on too much of a tangent, but that's my thing. I like watching or listening or reading about Alexander fighting the Persians and things like that. And one consistent theme you see in so many of these is not that the whole army turned and ran at once. That's not what happened. It's one portion turned and ran. And then the portion beside them saw that they, they turned and ran, and they turned and ran. And then the middle turned and ran. And, and soon they all ran. Why? Because one person ran. It's human nature. It's human nature to see what someone else is doing, especially when that person has a title by their name. My goodness, he's a doctor. He's surely, he's smart. He went to college for 97 years. Well, clearly, well, look, if that's what Italy's doing, then that's what we'll do. It only took one. As soon as one nation decided a nationwide lockdown was the solution, everybody followed suit. And I wish I could tell you, we're America. We looked at what the rest of the world did and said, ha, we'll find a way to do that smarter and better. Because we've done that so much in our country's history, right? It's part of what we love about America. But we didn't. I don't have a better way to put that. I don't have a positive spin I can put on that for you. The truth of the matter is we looked at what other people were doing and said, okay, we'll do that too. Everyone go hide inside. Oh, your business? Oh, no, 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 no. I understand you've worked 30 years of your life for it, but you have to close that. Sorry. No, nope, not. Nope. Whoa. Public park with your kids? Uh-uh. Not on my watch. Get back inside now. So... A lot of what I'm about to talk about cannot be undone. Now, we still have to look back. We have to figure out why it happened. We have to try to make sure it never happened again. But so much of this now is ingrained in our society. You see, once the government decided that was the best solution, and you had fancy doctors up there deciding it's the best solution, now it's in the minds of the American people, at least a certain percentage of them, that, well, that's what you do. That's what you do during a pandemic. If we don't stay inside, we're going to die of coronavirus. There are people across this nation who believe that, period. Lots of them. I don't mean a couple. There are lots of them. So going forward, that's not good. Viruses oftentimes come in waves. You've, everybody's heard about the Spanish flu, at least most people have. We had a wave of Spanish flu. It wasn't that bad. It was the second wave that killed everybody. What if we get a second wave in a month or two? You see what I'm saying? The problem is we already have in our minds because Pandora's box has been opened. We have in our minds that, well, what you do when it breaks out is close every business and go home. Once you have opened that box, that box doesn't close again. And if that box happens to be something damaging, if it happens to be a national contraction of a $20 trillion economy, if it happens to be 40 million unemployed? Well, you've got yourself quite a problem then, don't you? Here's Larry Kudlow. You know I'm an optimist and, and it's the health people that are gonna drive the medical decisions here, medical related decisions. But I still believe, hopefully or maybe prayerfully, that in the next four to eight weeks, we will be able to reopen the economy uh, and that the uh, power of the virus will be substantially reduced, and we will be able to flatten the curve. That Pandora's box thing, before I get to the 40, four to eight weeks thing, did you hear what he said in the very beginning? And this is a major problem I've had from all of it. And I have nothing against Larry Kudlow. Brilliant guy. It's fine. It'll be the medical people that make the medical decisions. Well, kind of, but kind of not. You see, I can go to my doctor. And my doctor can make recommendations, but my doctor can't tell me how I'm going to live every day the rest of my life. Yes, these doctors, I'm sure they're brilliant doctors. They can give medical advice. They can make medical decisions. They can make medical recommendations. But America is not a virus. America has a virus. It has a virus that's spreading. It has a virus we are apparently starting to get our arms around. But it has a virus. America is not a virus. Therefore, a doctor can tell me how to treat that specific thing about America. That does not mean the doctor is in charge of America until the virus is gone. That would be insane. And yet that's exactly what we've done. 
And again, we've opened that box. That's where we are. Well, we'll open up the economy if the doctor says so. Uh, nobody else gets a voice in that room? The doctor's the only one who makes that call? Uh, you realize we have, this is just the official numbers. Uh, tell me this isn't frightening. It's April 10th. We have 17 million Americans unemployed as of this exact day. 17 million by April 10th. Wow, I'm optimistic it's four to eight weeks. You know that's 40, 50 million unemployed people, right? There's not a, a number where this stops until you run out of every adult in the United States of America as every business runs out of money. That number is not static. Well, okay, it was just this industry that we, well, we had 3.2 million, and yes, that shattered every record we ever had, but that's, that's our number. Uh, okay, it's over 6 million the next week. That should be it, though. And then it's another 6 million, which gets us to our 17 and change, which means it's actually 20 already, plus probably much more than 20. That number continues to rise as we go along. There's not a point where we're just like, oh, whoo, I'm glad we, we, we crossed that crest. We're good to go. No, that number gets bigger and bigger and bigger. In what universe is four to eight weeks optimistic? That's not optimistic. That's the death of a nation. Somebody better wake up and wake up soon. I don't know what else to say. Look at this picture of Pennsylvania. Look at this. Look at what, what, look at what these people were doing. Do you know what they're doing in that video? That line of cars is not to get into the uh, latest football game. That's the line of cars waiting to get emergency food. Again, let me reinforce the fact. We're not at the end of April yet. We are not at the end of April yet. And we have people lined up in Pennsylvania. And by the way, we have more than just that. I, I, just so you don't think I'm picking and choosing. We have more food lines across the United States of America. Do you see that? On April 10th. And understand something, you can do all the stimulus things you want. You can pass all the small business loans you want until this economy opens back up. That gets worse. That does not get better. And there's not a second solution. I want to be clear about that. You can try to ease that pain from Washington. You can try to ease that pain from the state level. That's fine. Look, you got to shut everybody down, fine. Do what you have to do. That situation that you just saw that gets worse the longer we go. There is no second solution. You open back up or that situation gets worse. I, again, I, I, as I tell you all the time, I know that made some of you uncomfortable, but I'm right. You wanna know what's not great for social distancing? Take a look at these lines in South Florida. You know what these are? Yeah, um, that's people waiting for their unemployment forms. You see, you see, social distancing, it doesn't go well with Great Depressions. It doesn't. Social distancing is a disaster for, you know, during Great Depressions. That's reality. That's the United States of America. And that's happening right now. And again, I don't mean to throw stones at anybody, but if you're still getting a paycheck or you're fabulously wealthy, I really, really don't want to hear optimistic words like four to eight weeks. That's not optimistic when you're standing in the Florida sun waiting for a meal for your children. Oh, but the media is all over it now, finally. Um, what do you say to the 16 million Americans, more than 16 million Americans who have lost their jobs in the last three weeks and fear that the economy won't just bounce back, like you said? Well, I think the economy is going to do very well. Now, that's just my feeling. It's a strong feeling. I've had good, proper feelings about a lot of things over the years, and I think we're going to do well. But I think our country, from an economic standpoint, will end up being stronger than ever. We have tremendous stimulus. We have tremendous stimulus plans. We have things in the works that are going to really, I think, fire the country. I think that what's going to happen is we're going to have a big bounce rather than a small bounce. I hope he's right. 
I sincerely hope he's right. The good news is, and there is some good news, people in government are starting to wake up and understand this. I'm not talking about John Kennedy, or I believe it's Joe Kennedy specifically here. I'm not talking about this senator specifically. I'm talking about in general, politicians aren't necessarily waking up. They're hearing you. You see, what we've had is a massive, massive disconnect between the people who make policy and pundits who talk about policy and the rest of the nation. Why? Because the people who make policy and the pundits who talk about it, they're all still getting paychecks. It's all these other people who aren't. Here's Senator Kennedy. While we save lives, we've also got to get started saving livelihoods, Sean. We've got to get this economy back open. How now, do you, what before do you, the, uh, oh, I'm sorry. Before the well-intentioned uh, arugula and tofu crowd gets all lubed up, I'm not talking about opening it Monday, but, but we've got to get this economy open. Government, shut it down. We got some bad unemployment numbers today. I wasn't surprised. I mean, this economy has been chewed up, spit out, and stepped on. It, uh, it looks like a scene from Mad Max. And I think it'll be temporary. And we've got to be smart about how we do it. The president is shortly going to appoint a task force uh, to talk about how we do it. But Austra Austria, rather, is opening its economy. Denmark is opening its economy gradually, as we will have to do. Germany is starting to open its economy back up. And we've got to start talking about how to do that here. Once again, I'm not saying to, to put the economy ahead of public safety. But the fact is that both of them are, are important. We know that the coronavirus can kill you. But so can poverty. Again, nothing against Senator Kennedy. The economy is public safety. And what we've done is we've told the public that the two are separate. A good economy is public safety. Do you know what's happening right now? In the United States of America, hospitals, everybody gone, laying everyone off. Pediatricians, family practices, they're closing their doors permanently. How is that helpful to public safety? Your economy either keeps churning or your country will be less healthy. I'm sorry. It's the way it is. All that may have made you uncomfortable, but I'm right. Now, let me tell you about tryeb.com slash jesse. Again, it's tryeb.com slash jesse. I know many of you have trouble sleeping. I've heard from you, and here's part of the reason why you have trouble sleeping. Because you try to attack it from so many different angles of, well, what I really need is this special drug, or what I really need is I need this special mouthpiece I have to put in. And we've all made that mistake before. The truth of the matter is this. You know what happens when you lay down at night, when you're trying to sleep at night. The truth is you can't turn this off. And especially now, of the stress, but you're staring at your bank account. Uh, honey, we can't pay bills. It's a nightmare right now. We got coronavirus concerns. Is someone going to get sick? Are we going to go bankrupt? And when you lay down, it's hard to turn this off. That's why when you go to tryeb.com slash jesse, they actually give you $25 off. What they have is a drug-free solution something you put on that cools this area of the head, which turns down the stress. Unlike everybody else, they're actually attacking the problem. Again, go to tryeb.com slash jesse. very, very, very few people, sadly, on the left who have been standing up against this insane tide since we decided to start carpet bombing the greatest economy in the history of the world. However, this next guest is one of those people, writer for the Daily Wire. You've seen him on my show before, Matt Walsh. Matt, 
why do it? Why bother with it? I know, I know the emails I've been getting. I know the messages I've been getting from even friends of mine and uh, how insane they tell me I am and what a horrible barbarian I am. Why are you hanging your reputation out there? Why not just go along with everyone? Hide under your bed. Well, because I, I, you know, I tend to think that uh, the economy is sort of an important aspect of everybody's lives because we're, we're all a part of the economy. And so this this whole idea of, uh, well, you can't put money over people. It's not money we're talking about, obviously. These are people's lives. And so, you know, when I look at 17 million people have lost their job in three weeks, which, of course, is just the tip of the iceberg. There's many millions more than that that have actually lost their jobs. Uh, I, I'm looking, when, when I see that, I know, same for you, when we see it, we see 17 million lives that have been destroyed at a minimum. Uh, and so that, to me, that to me really, really matters a lot. And, uh, and it's, it's, worth, it's worth speaking out about. Matt, how did we get here? I, I, look, I, obviously you know how I feel. I know how you feel. I think this is the most collectively agreed upon insane thing I've ever seen in my entire life. How does that happen? How do entire nations, it's not like we're the only ones to decide, well, hide everyone inside until we figure things out. That, that, that's bonkers, and yet everyone seems to have agreed to it. I think it's it's the same story we've seen over and over again throughout throughout history, although in recent history we've never seen anything quite like this. But it's the same driving factor, uh, which is fear, at least among the population, the people that are going along with this and not just going along with it, but um, but supporting it uh, and and even shouting at people like you and me who speak out about it. You know, for them, they're just they're just afraid. I think it's I think it's as simple as that. And, and what what uh, governments have learned, of course, is that if you scare people, they're going to be willing to give up almost anything, including including their most fundamental rights. But of course, I'm told that you know when we're when we're arresting pastors and shutting down churches and telling people they can't go outside for uh, the wrong reasons, that's 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 not a in erasure of our of our rights somehow. You know, that's that's the justification. But of course, people are just afraid. I think that's that's all it is. People are scared, and so they give up they give up uh, everything because of it. Matt, I have to be honest. I thought we were different. I'm not America's father. Uh, America definitely doesn't want me as a father. But I have to say, I'm disappointed, extremely disappointed. Like you just said, we have a pastor put in handcuffs and sent to jail for holding a church service. We have a mayor of the second biggest city in the country flat out saying from the podium that his citizens should inform on their fellow citizens who dare to open their businesses. We have a father placed in handcuffs in front of his daughter for playing softball with her in the park. If I had told anybody a month ago that these things took place, they would have said, oh, that Iran is terrible. Oh, man, China is an ugly place, and yet it's right here. Are we not American anymore? Did we lose it? Have we always been kind of this way? And I'm just looking at history through rose-colored glasses. How do we get to this? I think, uh, I think we're, we're different in theory. Uh, that's what we're learning, but there's a big difference between the theory and the actual thing itself. So in theory, you know, we, we love saying things like give me liberty or give me death or that, that the Benjamin Franklin quote of, uh, you know, if you'd give up liberty for a little bit of safety, you deserve neither. Those are very popular quotes, popular ideas, popular theories that, uh, that, that we all love and we have it on our bumper stickers and everything. But then, you know, when the, when the, when the, stuff hits the fan um it, it it starts to test that theory and it shows do you do you actually believe all that stuff about freedom and liberty and give me death and all this kind of stuff and what we discover is that i think most people don't don't really mean it they like the idea of it and so that's what america is i mean america was built on an idea an idea of freedom and human rights but you have to actually be willing to stand by that idea and put it into practice when it matters because here's the thing you know the, the first amendment uh, most of the time, as we're going about our daily life in normal times, the First Amendment doesn't do anything. It means nothing. You don't really need it because most of what you do and say out in public, the government has no real interest in trying to stop you from doing it. It's only when the government has an interest in stopping you that the First Amendment means anything. And so right now the government has an interest. And so now this is, it's like, do you believe in the First Amendment or do you not? If you don't believe in the First Amendment now, then you just don't believe in it, period, because now is when it actually matters. This might be the first time in our lives when the First Amendment has actually been tested, really tested by the government. And, um, and I, you know, it's, we have failed that test, I think. Do people really want freedom? Not, ju not just Americans, everybody. 
do we really want freedom? Are we, are we built that way? Is that how God made us? I mean, look, it's Good Friday today. We all know what Good Friday is about. Are we simply made to seek out a king? And I genuinely mean that. The only people I've ever seen in my life actually seek out freedom, seek out liberty, are people who are under a tyranny. Otherwise, everyone else seems to want to be served something and protected and coddled. Yeah, I think that's a that's an interesting question. I guess I guess the answer is most of us don't really want freedom, and, and it's it's a when this is all over, this is a, a conversation. Maybe we should really have an, an honest conversation. We should start be we should start asking questions like, do we really care about freedom? Do we care about our rights? What are human rights in the first place? What what even is that concept? Is it something that's important to us? Uh, I think for a lot of us, it clearly isn't. And you know what I say to people is, if, if you don't really care about human rights and you don't care about freedom, just, just say so. Make, make that argument. Who knows? Maybe you'll convince me. But uh, but make make the argument. But whatever your argument is, whatever you think is more important than that, put that forward. But the problem is, it's just it's all in bad faith. The, the, the conversations that we have because we all pretend to care about these things, but then it, it turns out that we don't. Matt, I am definitely not a lawyer. I don't have any education whatsoever. I know you're not a lawyer, although you're much more educated than I. How can these things be legal? Are, are they legal? Am I crazy? Is it legal for a mayor to just say, go shut your house and lock and lock yourself inside? Close your business. Uh, a governor can just carpet bomb entire industries. Hey, every restaurant's closed by order of the governor. Do they actually have that authority? Yeah, it's an interesting question. First of all, I'm definitely not more educated than you, so we're on the same. We're both we're both uneducated. <laughs> but uh, I, so I, here, here's what... I know that what people will say is that local governments and state governments, they have a lot of leeway when it comes to an emergency. They have emergency powers, okay? I understand that, but the, the problem though is, and, and if there are any challenges to this after the fact, hopefully there will be, I think it'll be based on this, that in most states that where they're shutting down the economy and shutting down churches and all this stuff, there actually isn't any emergency in most of these states. Now in New York there is, in, in Louisiana there is, in, uh, in Illinois there is, but in most states, there is not actually an emergency, and there probably won't be one. So, uh, it's not an emergency. Th these are—they're not claiming emergency powers. They're claiming powers based on a projected theoretical emergency that might happen in the future. And um, and I would think that they don't really have the authority to do that because if they do, then it's game over because they can always be projecting or, or, or predicting some emergency in the future. I mean, look, we're, we're told that in 11 years, the entire world's going to come to an end because of climate change. That, if that's true, which it isn't, but if it is, that's a hell of an emergency. So uh, why aren't we shutting everything down? Why aren't we shutting entire industries down permanently to stop us all from drowning 11 years from now? Um, I, those are the arguments that governments are going to start making now. And, um, and so we, we need to have some, some serious constitutional challenges ahead of, ahead of time for that. Matt Walsh, dailywire.com. Go read his stuff. I appreciate you, Matt. Thanks, Jesse. Appreciate it. Now, I know you're scared. I understand that. There's a pandemic out there. There is. Look, it's a deadly virus. I don't agree with our approach to it, but it's still a deadly virus, and you don't know what to do, right? Jesse, there's no vaccine. Uh, we're not sure about the treatments. Well, look, I'm not a doctor. I can't tell you everything you can do, but I do know this. You have an immune system, and there's nothing better in this world at fighting off disease than the immune system you have inside of you right now, which is why I'm telling you about Omega XL. You see, Omega XL is designed to strengthen your immune system. It's all natural. We're talking 30 years of confirmation that this will strengthen your immune system. And is this not the time? When you, when you find out you can get sick and have your lungs filling up with fluid from touching a tabletop, don't live your life in fear. Don't freak out. Go to OmegaXL.com forward slash Jesse. Again, that's OmegaXL.com forward slash Jesse, and you'll get a second bottle free after you buy your other bottle. OmegaXL.com slash Jesse. Stop living in fear. Start strengthening the thing that's going to keep you safe.
Joining me now is former congressman and current dean of business at Liberty University, Dave Bratt. He's also a resident China expert and the man who knows what, how it actually works inside the Beltway. Congressman, before we get to everything else today, I'm constantly told about China that what they do is currency manipulation. Only I have a below average IQ and I don't know what that word means. What does currency manipulation actually mean? Well, currency manipulation by itself, right now, you know, they're, they're export-driven, and so that's their strategy, and every other kind of country wants to probably compete in that way, too. So they depreciate their currency or devalue their currency, similar, uh, in order to have a cheaper currency, which makes their goods cheaper to Americans, so Americans buy their products. And then it makes, you know, so it, it, it makes our goods more expensive, conversely, right? If their currency is cheap, they got to buy expensive U.S. goods. And so, you know, that's part of the problem. And then you, you mix that in with they dump, you know, they produce their goods uh, strategically at a very low price uh, at, that Americans cannot compete with. And then our firms go out of business. We move our stuff over to China. Then they raise the price back up to normal. And you saw that a little bit this week with oil. If people have been following the, the Saudi-Russian uh, oil pricing, uh, the same thing's going on, trying to get us out of production of shale oil here. And uh, same logic applies. Can you actually explain that for the people who don't understand? Because I've actually had that question a few times this yeah. week from viewers is, I don't understand what's going on with oil. What does it have to do with coronavirus? I've tried to explain that it does not actually have to do with coronavirus, but can you please lay that out? Yeah, well, yeah. And it, it it's related a little to coronavirus, just the sense you have a, a global economic shock, right? So there's no demand for anything right now. So when demand globally falls through the basement floor, the price falls through the floor. So the price of oil went from you know 120 to 80 to 50. Now it's down to 25 bucks a barrel. There, some are saying it could go down to 10. So that's bad enough. Shale cannot compete at, at that price point. And then on top of that, usually in this kind of a situation, our friends and OPEC, et cetera, will cut production back so the price goes up. Right. And so that's considered, you know, part of the G20, the G20 countries, China's in there, Russia's in there, we're in there. And the, the, the rationale for that is to have a stable uh, global economic environment. So you don't want oil prices collapsing. So the price of oil is already collapsed due to demand. Then Saudi and Russia got together and said that we're not going to cut production. Uh, we're going to flood the market with supply so the price of oil goes even lower. And why are they doing that? A few of our senators have made it fairly clear. They think they're clearly doing that to bankrupt our shale oil uh, production in the U.S., which competes at a much higher price point. It's a different kind of oil uh, than Saudi Russia stuff. And uh, once you get beyond that point, you're going to lose my uh, level of expertise. Well... Can you at least explain to me why would Saudi Arabia, if, I mean, they survive on oil, unless I'm yeah. mistaken, why yeah. would they destroy the value of the one major product they do? Well, in order, right, they're, they're getting a very low price. They don't like it either, right? The, the break-even prices for oil in Saudi, I've, I've seen reports, 50 bucks a barrel or something. So they're way under that too. But strategically, Russia wakes every, up every morning wanting to poke us in the eyeball, right? So that's no shock. Uh, the Saudis have been our friends historically, uh, but now with China and Russia making all sorts of these geop geopolitical deals, right, with the Belt and Road and all this kind of stuff, I don't know where the Saudis are shaking out, but they uh, were not extending uh, goodwill in the last few weeks. Uh, and so Trump got on the horn and uh, they got an agreement yesterday, came through. So the Saudis and Russia did agree to cut back production, so the price went back up a little bit. Uh, to give our production a little bit of a break. Why is China building islands? Where are they building islands and why are they building islands? Yeah, well, they're, they're building islands in the South China Sea and everybody ought to Google this, right? And so uh, they do not have enough money uh, to keep a lock on the building that uh, enclosed the virus, right, in Wuhan. 
they do not spend enough money to protect their people from their virus labs. And so we had virus escape and that's what caused uh, this most likely. Uh, but they do have enough money to build islands in the middle of the ocean and to put uh, defensive, not defensive, offensive weapons uh, on those islands, some of which the United States citizen is investing in, by the way, <clears throat> through our index funds. That's another uh, curious extension that the American people are going to find about. But the, the broader answer to your question is that China has documents called China 2025, China 2050. Uh, by, China, by 2050, China uh, wants to celebrate uh, their 100-year anniversary and their rise to global dominance, and by that point have taken over Taiwan and be the clear global leader overtaking the United States in military economic power. And they say, they've said to achieve that, we are currently at war with the United States uh, economically, cyber, and uh, stealthily, quiet. They're, they're quiet. They fight very stealthily. The, the name of the book uh, that I recommend to people is called Deceiving the Sky. And deceiving the sky means that your strategy is so effective that not even the emperor uh, can see the strategy that your your policy folks have put into play. Do they work with Iran and Russia? I mean, I know a lots of times because we're Americans and it's just human nature. Yeah. All your enemies, you just assume they're all in it together. Are they right. all in that together? Are they enemies? How does that? What's that dynamic? Uh, China and Russia, I don't think are working together uh, too much. They, they have similar ends in some respects, but China, Iran, yes, they, the Belt and Road Initiative, uh, China's trying to decide how much of a client state they want Iran to be. And uh, because Iran is problematic to everybody. And so uh, there is a relationship there. There's infrastructure deals and huge oil deals. And uh, the day after Iran uh, the day after the U.S. Uh, took out one of the uh, Iranian leaders a couple months back, China the next day said, hey, uh, let's all uh, cool heads prevail, relax, go back to the uh, nuclear bargaining table. And uh, why would they do that? Because they want peace and calm for 10 years as they deliver on their strategy uh, for global dominance with the Belt and Road, right? So they're very strategic. They want peace. They have a plan in place that's working its way through. And uh, Trump is the worst thing for them, right? So in the election coming up, Trump is the first president in, in 30, 40 years that uh, has caught wind of what they're really doing. And I've left off all the human rights abuses, right? There are stories this week of horrendous activity that we'll check. we got to fact check it. But there's, uh, there's terrible stuff about moving body bags. And you can do the math on what that means. And then there are a million Uyghurs in Western uh, China in concentration camps. That's a fact. You can go Google that one. W-I-E-G-E-R-S, and, uh, and then the corona, the origin of the corona outbreak, and they, they bought and paid for to put in the head of WHO, W-H-O, the World Health Organization. Over the U.S., we wanted a, a British leader. They bought and paid for uh, the current uh, Canadian who is sharing Chinese talking points from the beginning. Uh, and seriously is, you can go, everybody, all your listeners can go look those up. Just Google China and WHO executive director talking points. And you'll be shocked on that front. So yeah, no, they're coming right after us. We, I, just to show the American people what the contrast is, right? We made friends with our arch enemies, right? The German, the, the German regime, the Nazi regime, and the Japanese regime after World War II. We set up the new liberal Bretton Woods order, liberal meaning freedom, free, free, free economics, not liberal, crazy left. And now we're friends with Germany and, and Japan. And I was, I've been on some international shows lately. And I said, and they're our friends now, right? We, we set the parameters, the rules of the game, free markets, democracy, uh, basic human rights. Uh, you take care of people and we all grew rich together. Uh, why don't you want to play that game with us? And uh, the silence is, is deafening. Well, former Congressman Dave Brad, current Dean of Business at Liberty University. Thank you, sir. Appreciate you. Hey, thank you, Jesse. Thanks for the uh, education you do every day. We appreciate it. Good Friday. Appreciate Happy it. Easter, everybody. Happy Easter. All right. We're not quite done yet. Hang on.
Joining me now is Dan Mitchell. He is the chairman for the Center for Freedom, Freedom and Prosperity. Easy for me to say. Dan, I think what we're doing right now is absolute insanity. I've never seen a nation line up its own economy on the side of a ditch before and shoot it in the back of the head. Nevertheless, that is what we're doing. You, however, are much more educated than I am. Please tell me I'm wrong and this is all just fine. Well, I'm definitely not educated on the uh, disease and epidemiology and things like that. Uh, but I will agree with you that our economy is taking a terrible blow. Uh, what we don't know, though, is what would happen if we had just let everyone continue uh, to operate as normal. I suspect a lot of people would have stayed home, even quit their jobs, uh, because they would be afraid of the virus. And to be honest, there are so many things we don't know about the virus. How many people have already been infected? How many people are asymptomatic? How many people have been cured? How many people had it and never knew about it? Uh, so it's a, it's, we're in the middle of a great unknown and there are unknowns that we don't even know we don't know. Well, what do we know though? You're right, you're, there are a bunch of things we don't know. We don't know how bad it would have been. We don't know if we made it worse. We don't know if we made it better. We don't know a lot of things. What we do know is we have 17 million Americans already on unemployment. That means the number's undoubtedly over 20 million. If you take into account, most people can't even get through or didn't qualify for it to begin with. We, it is only April 10th, so we're easily heading towards 30, 40 million. I don't care what anybody says to me. What do we do from there let's assume and be really nice let's assume we have our arms wrapped around the virus from there and we need to slowly start opening things back up how do we do that the frustrating thing about uh, what's happened in washington is that they've spent a couple of trillion dollars and probably the biggest bang for the buck that we could get is if we had put money into testing find out who's had it who's been cured uh, and by the way don't have the FDA and, and the CDC involved at all because they've really showered themselves with shame uh, with, their, with their bureaucratic rules and, and hindering the ability of private labs and universities uh, to get involved. But with all that money we spent, some of it should have been targeted, not to the FDA and CDC, but to private labs and other vehicles for getting mass testing. Because once people know, and once for not only individuals know, but once society knows the extent of the uh, virus, uh, we'll be able to make a lot more educated decisions because you're exactly right. We can't keep going like this for too long with the economy because sooner or later, the government's gonna run out of an ability to borrow money and oh, by the way, an economy that is shut down imposes its own toll in terms of uh, lost lives, depression, suicide. Uh, and by the way, there's also a long run relationship between the wealth of a society, the prosperity of a society and longevity and lifespans. So, so there are all these trade-offs we need to be making. And unfortunately, the way Congress is approaching it and certainly the way the bureaucracies are approaching it, uh, we're just not getting the, inf the information we need as quickly as we need it. I'm concerned about the freedom of our economy, greatly concerned going forward. Obviously, we need a society that is light on its feet, especially now. We don't need government burdens. We already have way too many during this lockdown, but that's another story. I'm worried coming out of this, what we'll need is freedom, and what we're going to have is more government guidance, and that's really going to hold us back. That's a very, very serious concern. Uh, as Congress passes these multi-trillion dollar packages, as the Federal Reserve starts uh, intervening in the economy and deciding what businesses to uh, keep afloat and what ones to let go, in effect, we're getting an indirect form of central planning in our economy. And we know from global history, that's just not a good recipe. Now, if we can cross our fingers and hope that once the crisis goes away, all these interventions can be unwound, then that would be great. In effect, we would have sacrificed our economy to keep a certain number of people alive. And okay, different people can have different ideas of what the trade-off should be on that, but there's something noble and admirable about that. We're all willing to suffer uh, in order to keep uh, you know, X thousands of people from premature deaths. 
But if we wind up, as you indicated, with some long-term increase in the burden of government in terms of regulation, red tape, intervention, new mandates, uh, government control, or, or at least significant intervention in capital markets, we could wind up being a lot poorer at the end of the day as a result of uh, this crisis. Dan, oh, tell me why we can't keep printing money. I think people get confused on this. For the people instinctively know that we can't. But they, they seemingly never run out of it. They just hand out another $2 trillion here and another $2 trillion there. And people genuinely feel like the number's so big that we could just do this forever. Why can't we do this forever? I don't think anybody has any concept of what $2 trillion is, or by the time it's all over with, probably 4 or $5 trillion. That's just an unimaginable number. We don't even know what a billion is. We might have a vague concept of what a million is. Uh, now, there is a theory out there, Bernie Sanders ran on it, called modern monetary theory. The idea is you don't even need to tax people. Just print money every time the government wants to buy something. Well, we, we see... Venezuela, we see Argentina, we saw Zimbabwe last decade. That's a recipe for disaster. So let's set aside the modern monetary theory because that's a bit of a cranky idea. And let's simply consider the fact that the United States government is considered the safe haven for the world's investors. So as much as I don't like lots of government debt, frankly, we could probably borrow $10 trillion more and there would still be willing buyers for it, especially in an environment where investors think that companies may go bankrupt. So there's the so-called flight to safety as individual investors, institutional investors are happy to buy lots of U.S. government debt simply because they figure at the end of the day, that's going to be the last thing to go bankrupt in our society. But does that mean it's a good idea? Of course it doesn't mean it's a good idea to have endless amounts of debt. You know, why do we think Greece and Italy got into the mess that they're in right now? Because for decades and decades and decades, they were doing what we're doing today. Now, we're a lot stronger than Italy and Greece. We can probably continue doing these policies for 10, 20, 30 more years. But sooner or later, you know, you're in a hole, you keep digging. Eventually, you're not able to climb out of it. Dan Mitchell, that was extremely educational. Thank you for giving us some time today, sir. Well, thank you. Something you can feel good about. Hang on. not going to leave you on a sour note here. That's why we're bringing in Richard Durham. He is a mailman from Washington. And Richard, well, he wasn't sitting around just doing nothing. He's actually helping people during this time. Richard, first of all, tell everybody exactly what you're doing and how that came to be. Well, a few years ago, uh, actually about 10 years ago, when I was first doing the mail route, I was like, dirt poor you know didn't have any money and that caught wind around trout lake and and there were lots of people on my route and my church people just gave me money for christmas which was total blessing because then i was able to give that to my family you know to to uh help give them a good christmas which was really awesome and you no know, brought tears to my eyes and so then i kept offering to the people here in the Trout Lake community, like, use me. Let me help do with whatever, you know, wash dishes, scrub toilets, stack hay, anything. But nobody took me up on it. And uh, it was kind of frustrating. And then uh, this uh, coronavirus came up. And it's like, hey, I go to town every day. And uh, I come out back out to Trout Lake every day. And so if we're supposed to stay at home, you know, I can probably pick up orders for people and bring them back out. And uh, and it works good. It, people, I pick up prescriptions, you know, groceries. It, it works really good. 
And what's the response been to people? I'm, I'm guessing it feels good to give back when so many people helped you. What's the response been in your community of you doing that for everybody? You know, it, it's just an awesome response. And I'm not the only one that's doing it. There's a lot, there's a few other people doing it here. And actually, we've got a bunch of small surrounding communities that uh, people are doing that. And we're quite a ways out. You know, we're 20 plus miles from anywhere. And we have a bunch of people that are doing the exact same thing that I'm doing, you know, for their neighbors and friends and family. Man, that's just absolutely awesome to hear. Well, God bless you, Richard. You keep blessing those around you, and let's hope everybody watching tonight follows your example and goes out and helps someone else, huh? Okay. Well, there goes a, a milk truck. All right. Well, don't miss that. Thank you, Richard. I appreciate you. All right. Bye-bye. That's all for us. I hope you all enjoyed our special. Go be like Richard. See ya. You know, your house smells. Don't get mad. Don't get mad. My house smells too. I'm not, I'm not indicting you. I'm sure you keep a clean home, but just time means you're going to acquire smells, whether those are cooking smells that get in your paint and your carpet. Maybe they're animal smells. Maybe you're a smoker or someone else was. Just living creates smells. I didn't realize that my home had a smell to it until I got my first Eden Pure Thunderstorm, the greatest air purifier I've ever, ever owned in my life. This thing, I had it plugged in for two hours. I came back in the room and my air smelled so clean. I now own three of them. I'm not making that up. This thing has absolutely changed me on top of what it's done for my allergies. Go get one, get two, be like me and get three. Go to EdenPureDeals.com. Make sure you use the promo code JESSE that gets you 10 bucks off and free shipping. EdenPureDeals.com, promo code JESSE. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. One of the best shows of the year, according to Apple, Amazon, and Time, is back for another round. We had a big bear of a man. He's called Mal Evans. He's on roadie. And uh, <clears throat> I was coming back on the plane, and he said, will you pass the salt and pepper? And I misheard him. <laughs> I said, what? Sergeant Pepper. Listen to season two of McCartney, A Life in Lyrics on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Chris Moody, host of the new podcast, Finding Matt Drudge. I'll be taking you on a journey to find the mysterious media mogul Matt Drudge, founder of The Drudge Report. Along the way, I'll talk to people who have worked with him, dined with him, and fought with him, taking listeners into private conversations, all in an attempt to get a better understanding of who Drudge is and what motivates him. Hopefully, he'll even sit down with us. Listen to Finding Matt Drudge on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, it's your favorite throwback podcast hosts, Jessica Bennett and Susie Banacaram, here to announce a new season of our show, In Retrospect which means a whole new batch of episodes diving into the pop culture moments we love and love to pick apart. From the dethroning of the first black Miss America to the legacy of a lesbian joke from four Kaftan-loving Golden Girls. Listen to In Retrospect on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.